0: Hello and welcome to Tectonic Takes one of your co-hosts, Ivan Ornelas, here with Will Schneider. And we would like to welcome a very special guest, the voice of the San Jose Earthquakes and the Soccer Hour on KMBR, Ted Ramey. How are you doing today, Ted?
1: What's up, guys? I'm good. How y'all doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you. It's feels this was a great timed interview coming off a win against real salt lake so we're doing a little bit better than usual but it's always great to ha- have the chance to talk to you
1: for sure yeah. and coming off a win is always good especially a uh a wando wednesday win when the uh the old man uh, puts two in the back of the net and that's why i always feel like maybe my call-up is coming because i'm only six months older than wando and i'm like if he's still out there scoring goals and there might be some freak way in sports where I can uh find my way into a game somehow like that. There's like a 43-year-old emergency goalie in the NHL for Carolina found his way into a game. I'm like there's there's that <laughs> slight chance it might still happen.
0: Oh yeah. Here's hoping. We got our fingers crossed. <laughs> Will, how are you doing today?
2: No, yeah, I'm good. No, I just want to like, let you guys have a little moment there. And I hope we can get Ted on as a super sub, you know, come in the late <laughs> 90th minute, get a header in for us. Uh, that'd be great. And yeah, I'm doing well. I really appreciate you coming on Ted. I, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've tried to catch up on, you know, getting to know you a little bit reading about, and you've dabbled everywhere and obviously we're going to get to know you a little bit more. So I'm really excited. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, I like it. about time somebody wants to talk to me because I've been, on the other side of it is trying to book guests, trying to get guests for my own stuff. So I've always like when everybody, anytime anybody reaches out, I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you are going through and I will do whatever I can, because I think people don't always realize, like people see the finished product, they don't realize what goes behind that and trying to schedule stuff and trying to make, you know, because everybody has their own lives that are going every which way. And then when you can make it all meet together, you're like, yes, thank you. So Like, whenever somebody, especially when they want to talk Quakes, I'm like, I'm there. I'm your man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I can relate to that as a listener for a long time, (laughs) listening to sports radio, podcasts, shows on ESPN or whatever, and everything looks so polished and fast-paced and well rehearsed but it doesn't happen overnight it takes a lot of commitment from a lot of people that are on camera and behind the camera and behind the scenes and it's an incredible industry and you you get to be a part of it and your hard work pays off
1: (laughs) at least you hope it does
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right uh it's an exciting time. just a couple games left for the quakes and two to three left for the league as a whole. Are you excited for this end of the MLS regular season to unfold?
1: yeah, man. i'm I'm excited and i'm I'm nervous. I don't like the points per game thing that they've implemented, um because listen, I don't have any ill will towards Colorado. I just think it's not fair for other teams like Vancouver or RSL, or, you know, you go down the list of other teams that are right there on the brink to potentially get forced out by a team that played significantly less game games. I don't, you know, I don't, again, I don't have anything against Colorado, but it's like they haven't played as many games. That's just, that doesn't seem fair to me. And I, I know that there's heavy conversations behind the scenes. I'm sure that MLS was having with this. Um, And I'm sure that influenced things. uh, But I don't I don't love it. So, uh, you know, I just hope that this works out for the earthquakes that they get in. Um, I feel that the win against RSL last night was I mean, it was necessary and they took care of business. Um, I think they end now with two very, very good opponents. LFC, LAFC as Vela back, which makes them that much more difficult. And then there's the Seattle Sounders, who the earthquakes, aside from that seven to one loss, usually play pretty tough. We play them to draws or to the last minute of the game. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, but nervous. Um, and I think that's what you want. I mean, if you like the seven to one loss, you go back to that game and you tell me that at the end of the year, we're going to be fighting for a playoff spot and with two games left, I'm stoked. So, <laughs> you know, cause for a bit there, when you're losing three out of five games, it was a seven, one, then two draws, then six, one and five, nothing defeats. So that was, that was heavy <laughs> to be here. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. I'm excited. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I wa- i was going to ask you about how you felt about that points—that uh, point system that L- uh, MLS came out with. Um, but I mean, what would a little side note question instead is, what would you have done with the situation with Colorado in hand? Oh, I
1: would have tried to fill in games in that final two-week period if it had been close to the number of games that the rest of the teams had played. That would have been one thing. And I think Colorado, it's like, even if they'd played a couple more games, they still, I mean, they played six less games than the Earthquakes right now. I mean, that's that's a lot fewer games. And I think the other thing you would just do is that you would say, listen, I'm sorry. We're going to penalize the Rapids for this. And I think even penalize is too strong a term, but it's like, we're not going to hold this against RSL or we're not going to hold this against the other teams which were scheduled to play them and miss those games. I think the only right move would have been to say, sorry to Colorado. I mean, that's just... That's how it goes with the pandemic. I, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. I'm no, I'm not saying that they did, you know, they, there were positive tests. That's the era in which we're living, but I kind of think they're like, again, I don't want to say like being led off the hook. Cause that has like a negative connotation, but I think that they have been given, um, I don't know, an easier path than the rest of the teams. And I know that sounds callous because saying easier when it's associated to the COVID is not, it's not necessarily like, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like I feel like anything I say negatively about Colorado (laughs) is like kind of punitive because you would think that like getting bogged down with the coronavirus is a punishment in and of itself. It just, I don't know, man, it's just a crappy situation all around. Um, But I just, you know, I kind of feel that the only way to do it would have been to try and fill in some games for Colorado. But I think ultimately the way that it should have gone was just to tell Colorado, sorry, you've played so many fewer games, but you know these these are all above my pay grade, so yeah, <laughs> bigger, bigger, and better those. minds than mine. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So it would be really tricky to fill in uh, games at this point, though, because uh, just looking at the Quake schedule, for example, their last game is Sunday, November eighth, uh, against Seattle at CenturyLink Field, and then right uh the the following weekend their international game is being played in the weekend of november 14th and 15th so Mm -hmm. at most they could fill in maybe one more game on the wednesday and that's about it so i think their hand was a little bit forced there i don't think they wanted to rule out rapids entirely from contention although it would have been consistent because Nashville and FC Dallas, they were penalized by not being allowed to participate in the MLS's back tournament due to COVID situations. So it is what it is at this point. And I mentioned in the last podcast when we were covering the uh, Whitecaps victory over the Quakes, that someone's getting screwed in this scenario, depending on how they handle Colorado Rapids. Uh, Right now, it's looking like it could be Vancouver, despite them beating San Jose Earthquakes and giving themselves a chance to qualify. for the playoffs themselves yeah. and you just said uh, you empathize with them on one hand but on the other hand as people who are invested in the San Jose Earthquakes you're kind of like secretly not so secretly because this is a podcast <laughs> uh, relieved that maybe you guys you're not the one being screwed but it is really tough every yeah. point will count from here on out and we just hope for the best <laughs>
1: yeah I mean that's really all you can do it's just all so weird right I mean like this is not how Like a season supposed to end. And like I like I know that I'm not happy with that decision, but it's just, I mean, nobody was prepared for this at the start of the year. Like these are all decisions that guys are making on the fly. And it just it just sucks, you know. Like like I know that sounds so like obvious, but it Mm -hmm. does. Like, this is not this is not how anybody wants to be deciding a season. You want to have everybody play 34 games. You want it to come down to the final day of the season to figure everything out. And you say, all right, we can look at our wins and our draws and our goal differential and, you know, go through the tiebreakers and these things and not have to say, well, you know, we're going to go off points per game, even though they've played significantly less game because it's in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> and we've seen points per game in other leagues. I think in the lower leagues of England, for example, that it did alter the course of, the results of that season it affected which teams got promoted or relegated. Mm-hmm. So it does shift things. And there's a reason why that you don't do points per game. And the obvious reason being that leagues try to have a balanced schedule. But some unfortunately soccer in 2020 works a little differently. Yeah. So hopefully you know whichever teams do make it to the playoffs so that they'll make sure that they give a good account of themselves when they do get to that point. And we don't go thinking, Oh, wow, th- this could have been avoided if a few things went differently.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, the thing that would, that I would be really disappointed in is if now, if you have Vancouver put together the necessary points, um, whereas if Colorado like wins one and loses one and you start looking at, well, if you would, you know, extrapolated the records and, you know, it just you, you just hate to see somebody get burned in this situation. But, you know, like you love to be able to bicker about soccer as your biggest concern, you know, because like there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people in this country and worldwide that are being much more impacted by COVID-19, losing family members, losing friends, coworkers, workers et etc., So, like, I also try to look at it from that angle. It's like, okay, if my biggest gripe right now is Major League Soccer playoff decision-making, like, I think I'm doing all right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right. So, before we go on, we want to give a quick thanks to our sponsor, Roughnecks Scarves, who sponsor all the podcasts here on the Beautiful Game Network. And before we get into the thick of things as well, we just want to take a second and thank all of our supporters of this podcast uh, whether you're on Patreon or not. But if you do want to become a Patreon member for early and exclusive content and more bonuses, you can go to www.patreon.com slash tectonictakes. And thank you so much for all of your support and for making this podcast possible. So we're now going to move on to a bit of a rapid fire segment. We're just going to have, we'll ask you a few questions to get to know you, Ted.
1: Sure. <laughs>
2: All right, so you ready? Here we go. All right, first question: the uh, favorite Quakes player currently on the roster?
1: Uh, Wando, of course. Uh, like I said, <laughs> the fact that he's only six months younger than me—like when I went to Northgate, he was at De La Salle. Like I was aware of his name; people talked about him. Um, like you know, he's been around forever. He's just keeps on kicking ass. So yeah, Wando. All right, and we'll go with your
2: favorite former Quakes player.
1: Favorite former Quakes player? I—I th- I mean, I can't break either Marvel win or joe cannon's heart because they are you know they're still part of the quakes <laughs> family obviously and i work with both of them so i can't pick either of them so i'm gonna go with a recently departed member to the quakes uh in magnus erickson dude was or like I, I think he was very underrated by quakes fans and i think the metrics kind of bore out that when the ball got to his feet in the attacking third it went forward it didn't surprise me that when he left the team that things kind of fell apart for a bit he's just a really nice dude and i thought that like he had great leadership qualities he was always very nice to me i got to do an interview with him on the first day that he joined the club and you know just super chill and down to earth and we kind of joked you know because the band abba is from sweden and one of the dudes from the earthquakes didn't know who that was uh one of the young like really young workers and like magnus looked at me he's like you know who they are right i was like yeah he's like he's like god how old are we like he was kind of joking right <laughs> off the bat. So I appreciated that. So yeah, like, but the sad thing is, is like usually I travel with all these guys and the broadcasters aren't allowed to travel right now. So like, I don't know if I'll ever see Magnus again. Like the last time I saw him was uh, the before Minnesota on March 7th, uh, I was walking, you know, beneath the game uh, in the near where the players get up and stuff. I saw him did the bro hug, you know, whatever. And then, you know, everything got shut down the next Thursday. And uh and now he's back in Sweden, so it's kind of sad. I I hope I will see him at some point in the future, but yeah, it's just you know he was a good dude. So uh, since since I won't break Marb's or Joe's heart, I'll go with Magnus. Ah,
2: Sweden sour there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to make a trip to Sweden. You know, you got to have that that final closure. You know, that's <laughs> needed. Uh, the next one we got for you is the favorite favorite Quakes team. Favorite Quakes team.
1: Uh, I really like. I mean, O one one or 3 would be easy takes. Uh, y- you know, I think that the 2017 team, just because that was the last one to get to the playoffs, that was the first one that got to the playoffs with me doing the play-by-play. And they really had uh, a cool thing kind of going on. And it was kind of like the first glimpse we had of how good Jackson Yule could be. Of how versatile Tommy Thompson could be, Wando was still doing his thing. Um, you still had Victor Bernardez on the club, Shay Salinas, of course, always getting it done. He had a big goals that year. Um, so yeah, that 2017 team. But I mean, it's you know, it's like it's like picking your favorite kid. It's not it's not very easy to do, and it's like you can't really come to a right answer. And I don't have a favorite child, for the record. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like that 2017 team, I have a lot of fond memories associated with but i'm hoping that there's uh, going to be some fond memories associated with this team as well.
2: Yeah, i mean i think we're all hoping that we're going to have some fun <laughs> fun memories with this year especially how this year's been going. Um next one to be your favorite quakes jersey.
1: Ooh, uh probably the 2017 primaries. i thought those were pretty dope. And the ones we're wearing right now have grown on me uh, a lot. i also liked those red secondaries uh from 2014. Those are pretty sick but uh yeah probably the 2017 primaries with the chevron uh i guess that that's what I'm, that's what my wife tells me it's called i don't know i like that the you know the way the the, the yeah. stitching went or the the right. pattern <laughs> i guess it's called chevron these are like things like that are way above my my head in terms of like knowing like fabric patterns and things of that nature but uh those those are those are pretty sick and uh i was kind of sad to see them go but uh those th- those are probably my favorites
2: all right. So I see the love for 2017 for you is very special, but let's see, maybe <laughs> your favorite quakes moment, maybe is was in
1: 2017. Um, or is it, I mean, you can go idiot. I mean, I have to, it's hard for me to separate the fandom. Cause you think about the comeback against the LA galaxy back in the day, but yeah, I mean, since like my being on the inside and working for the team since 2014, like, yeah, 2017, like that, that, goal against Minnesota United to send us to the playoffs. Um And then just the entire stadium erupting and literally causing a small earthquake. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that one's hard to beat. Um And so that one, you know, I try to think of it in the frame of like, what has it been in terms of my experience versus who I was in 2001 or 2003, or, you know, whatever year you want to associate with great moments having for the quakes and that, that win against Minnesota, that's the one, you know, Rain scoring that goal. And just, of course, Wando was in on the assist. That was, that was pretty dope. So it's hard to top. And yeah, we keep on coming back to this 2017 theme.
2: I mean, that's fine. I mean, like you said, it was, it was one of like the most interesting years for the quakes, like you explained. And I mean, yeah, that goal was, you know, it was crazy. It was electric. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so since you go to the stadium much more than we do, uh, we got to know what's your favorite thing to eat there. Of course.
1: Ooh, I'm going to disappoint you heavily with this answer. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sure my bosses are gonna be like, "What?" But I've actually never—I don't think I've ever eaten any of the food there because they have a pre-game meal for us for media, which is usually just you know like a burrito or a pizza or a sandwich or something, and that's usually there. And I actually don't really like to eat big before broadcast. I am—I'm paranoid of getting food poisoning because like there's no commercial breaks, you know, <laughs> <Like> if, something, <laughs> if something tears you up in soccer, there's no like mid inning two minute break. So I always like, I eat like very light before a game. I'll maybe eat like half of a sandwich or like one piece of pizza, a couple bites of the burrito if they have that or something like that. But, uh, but no, like I should probably, I would go get my wife, but I think she's watching TV that, uh, that I've usually monopolized with sports watching while I'm doing this. Cause she, when she's there with the kids and my parents, uh, she'll get the food that's there. So she would probably have a better answer than I would. But yeah, that's, that's a, I'm going with the classic, uh, I'm a media member, so whatever they give me for free.
2: <laughs> I mean, no one's going to complain about free food, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, okay. okay, so I guess since you're not eating any of the food, I mean, and you're worried about getting food poisoning and that kind of stuff. So do you not drink anything carbonated then, right? You assume because you don't want to burp on air, nothing like yeah. that. Yeah, you just strictly stick to water probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, water. Uh, and uh, I mean, I have coffee in the mornings always. Um, but yeah, I just stick with water and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about the carbonated stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's probably, it just seems like water in that point because like, you know, like soccer broadcasting, that can be very much like you're kind of chilling and you're telling a story, but then things get very loud and very hectic, very, very quickly. Cause you can go, you can have just kind of a quiet back and forth and then suddenly a counter can break or something can happen and the volume has to go up very quickly. And, you know, you put strain on your voice. And pretty much everything that I've learned about vocal strains, like like whenever it's close to it, no caffeine, just water, water, water. So I try and stick with that. Occasionally there's like ginger tea. If it's, uh, I'll bring that to me on the road when we go to the, some of the colder weather locations and usually find some hot water and make some of that. Cause it's anti-inflammatory. Um, and so I'll sip on some ginger tea maybe before a game. Uh, but I mean, that's, you know, water with a little bit of, uh, you know, it's, it's water with some slight, uh, I don't know, it's a root, whatever Yeah, it is. yeah.
0: <laughs> some T form, form of T. Yeah. yeah. So for those who are wondering what a chevron pattern is, it is essentially a very 90-degree angle uh, separated zigzag pattern. This sounds
1: right. Yeah, something
0: like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we've established that we've hit all the important topics, we can uh, talk a little bit about uh, your uh, life growing up. But uh, h- how was the soccer market or scene back when you were a kid? Uh, did you grow up in the Bay Area or elsewhere? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So just to like fill you in like full circle, like my dad was a sports broadcaster and still is. He's in his mid 70s now. He's semi-retired. Um, but he did the earthquakes back in the NASL days back in the seventies and in the early eighties before the league folded. Um, and so like, I was born in 82. So like for me from like 1982 to 1994, and I'll get you that point of why I referenced that year, like pretty much like my dad would always talk about like the old NASL days. He'd talk about bestie and Pele And some of the other great names that were associated with world soccer and also came and played in the NASL. And then in 1994, um, like I, you know, like I paid attention to when there was a big soccer event on TV, but not too much. It was just kind of like it was because my dad worked for Stanford then he was doing play by play for them and he was working for KCBS and he worked for the 49ers and did play by play uh, other Odd stuff here and there whenever he was needed for stuff. So it was kind of like whatever my dad was doing, he would take me and my older brother, who's also a sports broadcaster, uh, to his broadcasts, and we kind of learned by osmosis. But in 1994, that was when the World Cup um, came to the United States, and they played games at Stanford. And so my dad, as he was a sports, you know, reporter, is in addition to it, he was saying that you know Ted that part of this was we've, we're hearing they're going to start a new soccer league in the United States. Um, And that's kind of what this is being used as the impetus for. And it's part of the deal. And so when Major League Soccer started up again in 1996, he did the clash on TV. Um, So he did their games and he did them 96, 97, 98, 99. And then I think after 99, he went over to WUSA for the Women's League uh, because they wanted him to do the San Jose Cyber Rays. Um, and that was the, you know, after the success of the women's world cup in 1999. Um, so like I was all in on American soccer and when there was big stuff on TV, my dad was usually intrigued by it as well because he had the soccer background. So I've like for until I was like 12, it was pretty much my dad talking about how cool the NASL was back in the day and what a shame it was that it folded. Um, and then when major league soccer came back, I kind of got in on that just, you know, was in on the earthquake or the clash then because my dad was doing the games and we would go to the games. I was at the first MLS game ever because that game was nationally televised on ESPN. So my dad had the day off and he was with me and my brother in the stands at Spartan Stadium. So we went and took that in and then I would go to other broadcasts with him and hang out in the press box and same story with the WUSA. So like trying to describe like the soccer scene in the Bay Area in the, you know, when I was like coming of age as a sports fan, which is like you know, you're like eight and 10 years old. It's like there wasn't a whole lot. Like you would read about some of the stuff that was going on in Europe in the paper sometimes, but like this was before the EPL had come over to the airwaves here and you would get kind of occasionally some big international games and you could turn on some of the Spanish speaking stations and catch some of their stuff. But it wasn't like, wasn't a huge part of the conversation, other than like, like I said, these stories that my dad would tell me of, you know, the NASL before it was really around or before I was around, I should say. So when things got rolling in 1994 and then my dad started working for the then clash at that point like then it became a much bigger part of uh of my life once again and uh it never really left um so it's it was very very different uh you know it's not like it is today and um it's super cool what it is today like i you know like and i'm actually like i i wish my parents had been more uh like kind of those crazy parents who had like told me what sport to play. Cause they like, I w- ended up being like fast. Like and I was a slow ass kid. And then somehow I ended up being fast and ran track and I was like fast ish. I, you know, I wasn't like, I was good enough to run high school track. I wasn't going anywhere after that. Um, and afterwards I was like, why didn't you guys make me play soccer? I could have like played, played fullback. I maybe could have gone and played to like a junior college. We're like, I don't know, Ted, you, wanted to run track that was your thing and i was Mm -hmm. like yeah i was like i wish you guys had been crazy and made me be like go be a fullback ted you would have had a longer (laughs) career but you know it it is what it is
0: (laughs) right it's nine day difference like when i think of soccer in, in like the 90s and 80s i think well it was definitely like a metamorphosis of sorts particularly from the usa perspective And how, you know, looking at old videos and matches from the 1994 World Cup, it's one of the few instances in my life, along with other things in general that happened to the 90s, like Michael Jordan's like, oh, I wish I was born in a different decade, because (laughs) that seems so exciting and incredible. I know, like, people from all over the world were shocked that the USA could produce such an incredible World Cup as hosts. and even a few years later in 1996, San Jose being part of that first ever MLS game, a sold out Spartan stadium for that match. And it's just incredible what was going on back then. And like now we kind of take it for granted because Premier League is this thing that is now, whereas, you know, it didn't exist until 1992. And now along with the Premier League, we have so many other leagues available to us through TV and streaming platforms and all these things. So it's an yeah. incredible transformation and evolution that's occurred these last 30 years. Nah, it's it dude, it's wild. Like it's it's
1: <laughs> it's so much different. And like you bring up like the change um of the 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 official Premier League, what it is now. It's like the big soccer stories that you would hear about, you know, like had to do with like hooliganism. Like you would hear about Hillsborough and you could hear about some of the huge riots that took place in, uh, in, you know, Latin and South America. And like, there was this, you know, there were, you would hear stories like that as opposed to hearing about the great things that were going on otherwise in world soccer. Um, so, you know, like for me, like is like a, you know, Hillsboro, you hear that story when you're like an eight and nine year old kid, you're like, what the hell? Like that's like, you can't even wrap your head around it. Um, you know, it's a tragedy, but it's just like, that was like, you would hear those types of stories sometimes like negative connotations. Um, but yeah, like you said, like the 1994 World Cup was you know incredible. And it, dude, like that's why I think the 2026 World Cup, that's going to be like the greatest show on earth for 50 mm-hmm. years. Like they're going to, like the idea of United States and Mexico and Canada all getting together on something has me just like, like that's, like, it's going to be amazing. Like I, assuming we're not all dead from the coronavirus. <laughs> it's it's going to be amazing. Like I am, I'm already buzzing off how cool that could be
0: right uh, I'm kind of looking ahead a few years and I was thinking it was like not only that but like 2023 with the women's world cup with yeah. USA going for the 3 P and it's going to be hosting in Australia and New Zealand it sounds like so exciting right now because that's like a 20-hour flight and right <laughs> now it's COVID so tra- travel's not really happening so it's sounds like a different world right now but it's something yeah. to look forward to that 2026 world Cup for sure
2: yeah well i mean the next you kind of covered it with your amazing background with the involvement in soccer the next couple of questions we had for you um i mean it's crazy that you know your your dad was involved in this and you kind of just been with him the, the whole way and um so the next kind of question we had for you was how did you get your start with the the affiliation with the soccer team
1: So I had been working at KMBR, um, and I had done like stringer work for, uh, AP and ESPN radio before that. And I had done, um, like small amounts, like play by play and stuff back in like high school. Like people would ask me to be like, Hey, can you voice stuff? And you can, you do, you know, like stuff for the soccer team. And I knew how to do it because I'd been around my dad and stuff. And I'd done like some some slight stuff in the, in the past with play by play um, and had been doing sports talk and had been doing sports updates and been doing, you know, just as much stuff as you can in the sports world. You look for opportunities. Um, And at that point I was filling in as a host on KMBR and I was doing stuff on the bone um, and been doing stuff on Niners pregame occasionally and uh, Warriors pre and post game. And the Quakes were making a switch and um they reached out to me and they said it was this something that you would be interested in and uh, i said yes for sure because I'm trying to like keep it cool while like have not seen my head exploding <laughs> um and so they had me come out uh and do a tryout um and i think they had some other people do some tryouts as well and mine was the uh was the tape that they liked and they brought me on and uh it's been it's been an incredible relationship ever since um you know working for the quakes and like I'm not just saying this is like a dude who's like now I'm going to talk well about the company I work for. Yeah. Like it's 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 awesome. Like I, I tell people like for me being a dude who was good enough at sports to play in high school and then at, like that's where it ended. Um like being doing play-by-play in my opinion is like it's the closest you can get to actually like being in the game because for me like uh, that's I'm performing. Like I have prepared for that moment. I have studied. I have done many of the things on like the other side of the spectrum, like athletes prepare and they study and they watch film and they lift weights and they do all these things that, you know, they train for the moment and there's an aspect about play by play. That's the same way. And you're in on every play and you want to describe it and you want to make sure that people um, have feel what's going on and you have this opportunity to perform. Albeit in a totally different way, there's no like it's not physical exertion other than that. Like my throat gets a little tired at the end of uh, two hours of broadcasting, <laughs> but like you do, like it's performance. Like I want to make sure that like I can walk away at the end and be like I feel good about that. Like I'm glad that people um, look at this and or listen to it and say like that was fun and that I enjoyed listening to it. So you know it is it is really really fun to do and like you know, it was, it was so cool that they even offered me the, the opportunity in the first place. Um, And, you know, like here we are, that was 2014 and now it's 2020 and, you know, going strong and, you know, just the only thing that can slow us down is the pandemic apparently. So, you know, <laughs> sure. you just keep on going, uh, going in the, in that direction. Uh, I'm going to turn my fan on real quick. The yeah. lights are making it hot in here. Once yeah. I'm go course. for
0: it. Yeah. So Ted Ramey, his affiliation with the club started in 2014 and even though during that time the quakes as of now only qualified for the playoffs one time in that period it still has been an exciting time we've seen players called up for their international teams playing world cups and it's been an interesting period of growth with a lot of good players coming in and out and also from a league perspective as a whole seeing the size of the league increase very exponentially now at 26 clubs and it's been an interesting
1: ride. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know, to watch what the, what the league has grown into and what it's continuing to grow into. Like, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. I've been, I've had this line that I've been telling people for a while um that I think that in a not too distant future, soccer and the NBA are probably going to be the kings of sports in the United States. And I think that the 2026 World Cup is going to go a long way in doing that. I also think that the growing popularity of uh, the women's game and the NWSL, I think that's going to continue to push things forward. And I actually think that the 1999 Women's World Cup in the United States had a huge impact on the game here in the country as well, because people, everybody remembers Brandy Chastain, ripping off her and flashing the guns in the six pack after scoring the <laughs> game winning uh pk and it was just like it was, it was like that's that's one of those moments like you have all these different moments that have allowed you know major league soccer that have helped it grow cuz i think that when people even if you become a fan of soccer because you watch messi like you still want to pay attention to the league then that's in your backyard it's like you 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 know like you can be a fan of alabama football and still want to see what Cal and Stanford are doing, even though the Pac-12 is an entirely different entity, ostensibly than you know the SEC, because it's all part of the same picture. It's all part of the whole you know narrative. And I think that while MLS is still in this growth stage, um, you know, people for whatever reason, whether it's been a Women's World Cup, whether it's been uh, a, a different World Cup, whether it's been Champions League, whether it's been the EPL having major league soccer here at the same time concurrently while this huge growth in world soccer and the internet and everybody's been able to engage more with what's happening worldwide. It helps major league soccer and the growth. Like I had a dude on the soccer hour, a uh, couple, uh, I guess that was like a year and a half ago, uh young English dude. And he was talking about how his friends were enthralled by major league soccer. Cause he was like, dude, you're watching Watford and Burnley. He's like, <laughs> He's like, you watch that and then you watch, you know, at that point it was right. I guess this was early 2018 that I think about. He's like, you watch that with El Trafico. He's like, and you have Zlatan Ibrahimovic scoring bangers from 45 yards out against LAFC. And he's like, that game was way more entertaining than most of what the EPL was that weekend. So he was, he was (laughs) talking about how like the American, like, there's like, you know, the American soccer snobs like major league soccer. No, I don't want to watch that. And, but he was saying like, you know, I mean, it's like you, you, that's entertaining. And like, I think that's where major league soccer is right now. Like I'm not going to say it's on par with EPL or La Liga because you just look at the money involved with the players. You do the simple arithmetic, you know, it's not there yet. But I think that as you have more of the melting pot in the United States, more people who have a, a varied background, who have families that come from other parts of the world, they have more of that soccer background. I'll get into this more when I, because I know you guys wanted to ask about Damon Bruce, but I think that those of us who are (laughs) younger than 40 who grew up with more of soccer in the mainstream, who had major league soccer, who had the United States men's national team come to promise, who are uh, coming to prominence, I should say, who had um, the EPL on TV, who had more world football, who had social media and the dissemination of content. It's allowed everybody to kind of be more aware of the world game and thusly they are more aware of what's been happening with major league soccer. And it's all, it's, you know, one hand kind of feeds the other and it's, it's really cool to watch where it is right now. And then again, where it's, where it's trending in the next decade. Cause you think about where we were in 2010 and where we are now in 2020, what, what is this going to be like in 2030? Like that's, that's yeah. where I'm just like, Holy crap. Cause I don't, I don't think this train is slowing down. Uh,
0: I don't think so at all. And there's so many different tracks that keep expanding the ways of movement of the sport. And I'm just excited to be a part of it through this podcast and through every other way that I'm involved in the community. So it's great.
1: For sure. Like that's the thing is like, like once, like you guys know, like once you're in and it like becomes out like of responsibility, you get like that much more deeply invested in it and it's, It's also fun. Like you can definitely chase yourself. You force yourself down that rabbit hole, but it's, it's fun.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. So then uh, since you've been around the club for so long as a fan and as a part of the media, how do you feel about San Jose Earthquakes' growth and direction?
1: feel good about it. Um, I mean, that's not to say there haven't definitely been some uh, speed bumps in the road like 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that they, the club is trending in a direction that I think is the right way. It's just taken, it's not been a linear as the crow flies straight ride. It's been kind of trying to wind and figure out where it's going to go. And, you know, people want to be like, oh, well, look at this, that, and look at what this club is doing. And I'm like, yeah, but this is like, it's hard to gauge. Like, look at what the Galaxy are going through right now. Like, the Galaxy are historically the franchise that has set the tone for Major League Soccer, and they are, you know, in a death spiral. Like, they they mm-hmm. can't do anything right right now. Um, and it's, like, there's part of me which is like, ha, you know, like, because, I, you know, I'm a Quake. But at the same right. time, I'm like, eh, it's really not good. It's everything to me is also more fun when the Galaxy. Are at the top of their game when they are more, you know, as part of the conversation that makes, that just makes it more entertaining. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not right now. It's a hard league. And I think that the earthquakes have been finding their way through it. And I really like what Jesse Fiornelli has been able to do. I think that 2018 was definitely, um, you know, it was just, it was no good, but 2019, it came down to the last day of the season, which was, you know, if it comes down to the last day of the season to make the playoffs, that's better than it not being that way. Having experienced years like 2018. Um, oh, I think there are some things that kind of went against us down the stretch, like Wando getting a red card from the bench against Atlanta. That, uh, yeah. that oh, didn't yeah, help us. Oh, that <laughs> Atlanta game. Don't remind me about that Atlanta game. Yeah, dude. I, oh, yeah, <laughs> I kind of like, forgot I,
2: about that till now.
1: <laughs> dude, I remember I, I like when that happens, I think I said during the broadcast, I think it was Chris Penso was the referee. I was like, Has Chris Penso lost his mind? Like, I was like, just like, what? Like that was the first red card Wando ever got and it was from the bench. Like, come on, you don't do that to the dude. Like, if he's complaining, it's legitimate. So, you know, like, there have definitely been rough spots. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat that, but I think getting Matias, Almeida, I think that they're now trying to spend more money and get more impact players and trying to figure out how that money is best spent um, and I think things are trending in the right direction. And I hope that this year, aside from the, you know, at, here's the deal. Like when we look at those rough losses this year, seven, one, six, one, five, nothing. Like it hasn't just happened to the quakes. Like LAFC did that to Vancouver. Portland did it to LAFC, uh, RSL, uh, either, either they blanked somebody five, nothing, or they got blanked five, nothing. I forget which it was because there've been so many of these games like this, like 2020 to try and compare in a normal context, it's kind of hard to do, mm-hmm. especially with the teams in California dealing with the wildfires at that same time, which was definitely impacting training. Um, I think it, those were probably four, nothing, you know, five, one type blots as opposed to seven, one, you know? So I think that definitely played a factor. So like you do look at those games and you say like, Oh, like I, obviously it's hard not to react and be like, Holy God, what is happening here? But at the same time, it's like, okay, they go out there, they get Matias Almeida. They're bringing in guys like Rios, like Fierro, who they think can be impactful players. And I think that they're starting to make good on that promise. I think that the growth of the Academy system and the homegrown players, guys like Cade Cowell, who looks like Alfonso Davies, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in San Jose, dude, that guy, by the way, like, like, I always say this, like looking at him when he first joined the team at 15 and now he's 17. I'm just like, dude, I never had a chance. Like, He's just (laughs) walking around like cut from marble and just like, it's just, it's such like a different level. And I'm just like, God, man, like, like he, like just genetically different. And you, we watch him. So you see players like that. And you know, there's these rumors with Barcelona surrounding him, which if the quakes end up moving him there and making that money and reinvesting in the club, I think that's all, if that's the plan is to be a selling club and then use that to put more money into the Academy system and also get in more quality players Um, Then you like it. You like the, those things uh, right now. And I think that the, hopefully the tougher times 2018 is the one that really stands out are behind the team and they keep on going forward in this direction. Cause I think Matias Almeida was a huge hire and I like where things are going. And then, you know, the, the, the other thing I think that plays a factor as well is that the soccer they play under Matias Almeida is attractive. I know people were not fans of Domball. and I have a great deal of respect for Dominic Kinnear, but his job in his mind was to go out there and get points. And he didn't necessarily care about how attractive the soccer was or whether it was, you know, the prettiest brand or whether people wanted to lay it label it an empty bucket. He was just going to go out there and do what he thought was going to get points. And that's what he was doing with the budget at the time. And he was pretty decent at it and has the pedigree to back it up. Um, but I think right now, if people sit down and watch an earthquakes game, like they did, in the MLS's back tournament when they were a little bit more just kind of frantic and flying all over the place. It's toned down a little bit now, Uh, but it's still very attractive. People like the brand of soccer. And I think in addition to the player acquisition and building the Academy, you want to be able to put something out there on the field. That's attractive. You want something that people watch and are entertained by. And I think that that's part of it. And I know that's not as satisfying an answer to be like, Oh, the, you know, that they have spent X millions of dollars on players and done this, but it's like when you watch the team play, are you entertained? And I think that, that definitely that is the case right now at the Earthquakes. They're good watch. They're fun and entertaining. So um, you hope that a year like 2018 is behind us. And the other thing is that Matias Almeida with his whole take of it being a project, it kind of seems like that's bearing out a little bit. And a lot of people were skeptical of that when they were losing badly earlier this year, but it seems like now, Carlos Fierro has found a little bit more of his role with the team. Same with Andy Rios. Um, same with Cade Cowell. Same with, you know, you had Jacob back in get in there. You've got JT. Marcinkowski. He's now taking over the reins as the starter. You see more of the direction and more of like, not to get too cheesy, but when you pour cement, <laughs> lay the foundation, as it were, like doesn't have a lot of shape at first It, you know, you see what they're trying to do, but it, you know, it can be, it can be messy. And so now, which I guess that's a two-part soccer joke, uh, but it, you know, it can, like it, it, now it's kind of taking shape, and I feel like it's been up and down, no doubts about that. But now you kind of see more of the idea, and you want to see what they can do here, and then think about what they can do next year and the year after. And I don't think Matias Almeida plans on going anywhere anytime soon. I know everybody's like, well, he's never lasted anywhere more than three years, or maybe it's four years, but I think it's three. And then he moves off, and but like I don't, I think he likes it here in San Jose with his family. And I mean, dude, can you? There's no better place to live in the world than than the Bay Area. I mean, there might be places that as are as good, but like the Bay Area is incredible. And so I'm sure he looks at this for his family and says like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. So long answer, but um, I do like the direction
0: <laughs> where things are headed. Headed. Yeah, I think if. You asked me, or if anyone was asked this question at five or six different points of the season, the answers would have all been different. And <laughs> it's been a roller coaster ride to say the least. But I think now that we start to see them turn the corner from that horrible spell, that we can see exactly like, okay, this is Matias Almeida's system, why he wants to play this way, why these players are in this team for a reason. And it's definitely a different feeling than Kinnear ball. And when managers and clubs where they play unattractive soccer, like think of Burnley or Stoke city or whoever, <laughs> that if your goal is to get points, you got to be damn sure you get points as often as possible, because that's all you can hang your hat on. You can't say, Oh yeah, I come to the stadium. We're going to play great passing soccer or football over there. But uh that goes out the window you definitely put the pressure to get the points and there's going to be points in any club's uh history where they're going to be hard to come by and that's where things went south for Kinnear and that's where things looked like they were get- going south for Almeida but now we're in a fighting chance for the playoffs and yeah. you can't ask for much more yeah
1: I think with Kinnear though is like people forget that those teams that he won with in Houston which were essentially earthquakes teams is like those were, they played really attractive soccer. Like Dom, when he Mm -hmm. has that level of talent, he's able to put it together. And I was tweeting about this earlier today in light of the firing of uh, GBS in LA. At the end of that Mm -hmm. 2018 season, Zlatan Ibrahimović, like no slouch, right? Like he said, I think this team should hire Dom Kinnear as the coach. And why the LA Galaxy didn't listen to him, I will never understand. It's like, now who's the head coach again of the Galaxy? Dom Kinnear. What have they done over the last two years? Nothing. Like, like what, what Zlatan Ibrahimovic wanted Dom to be the head coach. If Zlatan says Dom should be the head coach, that's what you do. And instead yeah. they brought in GBS. Listen, I, I'm sure he's a nice person. I did not like what he was doing with that galaxy team. Like they were so disorganized and they have some talent out there. I don't know what's going on with Chicharito. I, that dude, good. <laughs> no. good I, I, i have no idea why that hasn't worked in the slightest um but like pavone Leget, grona like those are good players bingham's question player. yeah sasha question an mls veteran who can go out there and get things done they have a lot of good players and i don't know why it's not better and it was just so disorganized it was like okay uh get it to legit or pavone and then get it to chicharito okay nothing there uh try that again try that again try that and <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself like, what if they had put Dom in charge of these teams after 2018? I think Zlatan Ibrahimovic might even still be there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's hard. And again, I like I'm not. Tr- There's tons of stuff that goes on, and I don't want to pile on Guillermo Barros because he's a smart guy, well respected, obviously. But I just found myself miffed, and I'm, I'm a Zlatan guy, by the way. Like he, <laughs> I find his all of it is just hilarious. Like I find him to be. Like hilarious, entertaining, and I think you look at the stuff that he's done behind the scenes for like charities and helping clubs. Like, just a good, good dude. And I just found it amazing. I was like, he just told you to hire Dom, and you go and hire somebody else. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, just, I found <laughs> yeah. it stunning. But yeah, I mean, I un- I understood the criticisms of Dom Ball. Like, it was the teams that he had here in San Jose were not the most talented. He had him in the chance to make the playoffs the last day of the season in 2015, and then in 2016. It was a lot of injuries, and it was just no good. And then in 2017, I think the team was in second or third place, but he was a different coach than what Jesse Fiorenelli wanted, and that's that's how it goes in sports. When a new GM comes in, you might not be the guy. and We see that in the mm-hmm. NFL most definitely all the time. So, you know, Jesse wanted to make a change, and that's what they did, and Leach led him to the playoffs, similar points per game average. Um, and that was that season. But, yeah, I just – Again, if Zlatan says hire Dom, like you should, you should probably hire the guy. And then now it's just a mess, and Dom's yeah. in charge again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Zlatan is a very fascinating Mercur- Mercurial personality. Uh, how many players can get away with, well, a lot of the things he said, but one that sticks out to me is he made a YouTube video once where he was asked to name his all-time Uh, starting 11 of players he's played with, he puts himself in it. Of course, he says the best (laughs) for last. And it's like, of course, that's a very Zlatan thing to do, but it's almost like, you know, to tie back to something I'm sure everyone watched during this pandemic, the last dance, Uh, Michael Jordan, he was, has his preferences for his coaches and big reason for that dynasty ending was uh, Phil Jackson not being renewed regardless of the result. And congratulations, you pissed off your star player and yeah. now when he's gone, where are you? And Zlatan's gone. And now they have the MLS and Christian Benteke, who is not getting it done. And I'm sorry to say that about Javier Hernandez. I'm a, Along with San Earthquakes, I'm a Manchester United and a Chivas de Guadalajara fan. So mm-hmm. I've seen Javier Hernandez play incredibly well. And right now, he's just like a shadow of his former self. I don't know what's going on. And I'm hoping, as much as I don't want the Galaxy to... Uh, succeed because that usually means bad things for the San Jose earthquakes <laughs> i'm hoping he turns it around and he can remind everyone why he's a good player for club and country at his
1: yeah, best it's 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 hard and because he's not you know he's kind of got that wando sense about him where he's a poacher like you don't look mm-hmm. at him to create but it's like Legette is very good pavone is very good and why it's like why aren't they creating things for him to respond to it was, it was very weird watching that team, man. Like it was so disconnected. And I also felt bad for David Bingham, who I know that he's a polarizing guy in, uh, in earthquakes lore. And I always got along with him very well. He was always nice to me. Um, and you know, he had a good run of form there with Dom Keneary, He was on the national team made it, you know, got called up, was looking pretty good. And I like the lack of defensive organization, organization was hurting that team and put him in a lot of bad spots and, it just, yeah, that's the thing about pro sports, man. Like there's like, for me, I'm sitting here blaming, you know, GBS or saying, why didn't they hire Dom and all these things? But like, there's a million things that happen behind the scenes that we don't even get sniffs of, you know, like there's only like, always people have come to me like, so Ted, what's going on with the, you know, X, Y, and Z with the earthquakes or the sharks. And I'm like, I don't know. They tend not to tell the guy with the loudest voice in the room, all the darkest and deepest secrets. Cause it's just like, they keep these things close. They play it tight. They don't tell the world. And that. look at the 49ers like john lynch when he signed on with them he was so concerned about the the leaks there that he said if anybody finds out i'm in the running for this i'm not going to take this job so like leaks and things that get out like nobody knew like and that was weird because everybody had heard about everything they thought and it was completely out of the blue and had been going on for a while like that's how sports are like everybody thinks they know everything until they realize oh i didn't know anything at all and that's that's including me as well and I'm someone who's relatively on the inside. Like there's only so much that you're privy to. And then there's those talks among the, you know, the owners and the executives that are just there. And it's, it's an interesting dynamic and I, you know, that stuff like that. And I'm sure with the players and the coaches has gone on that, that we'll never hear about. And it's just like, the one thing I don't like is how people like Chicharito's earned his spot. Like he's done mm-hmm. what he's done for the Mexican national right. team for a reason. There's no reason to think of him as a guy who's, quote-unquote, dogging it, you know? Like, he's only, I think, 32 years old. I think he's still yeah. got a lot of life left in those legs. And I don't like people, you know, I don't like that we're all put in this position to kind of speak ill of the guy. Because for me, you know, if the United States are team number one, Mexico on the national stage is team number two, because I grew up in the Bay Area. It's, you know, there's a huge Mexican community here. They're also right. geographically right next to us. That's like when people got mad at Landon Donovan, I was like, but, like... Like, they're our ally. I understand <laughs> that when we play them, they are the enemy. But otherwise, like, I feel like we have so many Mexican Americans everywhere. It's like, how am I supposed to look at my friends who are of Mexican descent and not want to be along with them and root on, you know, the, their heritage and their background? Like, it's, I felt like most of them when the United States were playing in games that didn't involve Mexico, were also rooting for the United States. Like, it's this weird dynamic. And I don't like, kind of like S talking Chicharito. Cause he's an incredible player. He's, he's the all time right. scorer for Mexico. He's awesome. But yeah, just, it wasn't working. Like you watch that team and you would be like, what on earth am I looking at? So, you know, it's, it, it's, like I said, I know that the, the galaxy being good is not what we want as Quakes fans, but it's also like, I feel like things are more, I want there to be a, a situation again where the earthquakes and the galaxy are going head to head in big games, just like it is with the 49ers and the Seahawks, again, now, as it was, you know, when Harbaugh was there, just as you want it to be with the Giants and Dodgers. I mean, you want the Sharks and the Knights in these games. Like, you want these hated rivals to go at each other because you get classic moments. And so, you, you know, like, <laughs> yes, hopefully maybe no. next year you get that. Yeah. I mean, yes,
0: yeah. We'll find other players, other teams to hate if it's not the Galaxy, but yeah, I get your exactly. point. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, you I mean, want to
0: say anything? Go ahead. Yeah.
2: Oh man. I mean, I don't know what much to say after all that. I mean, <laughs> you guys broke it down perfectly. You know, next thing you know we're going to have Chicharito on the, on the quakes and we, <laughs> everything's going to be just fine. Um, but I mean, I guess kind of moving on from like way from Chicharito and we just kind of wanted to get to know what like, you know, your pregame rituals are as you prepare for a broadcast for KNBR.
1: Uh, if it's a, if it's a home game, um, I'm usually up early because I like, I I'm stoked. I'm out of my mind. And then I take that up to the next level by slamming coffee. Um, and it's like leading up to the game, like earlier in the week, I watch two or three previous games, um, especially if they're available on ESPN plus, or if they're on Fox sports one, I'll try and, uh, record it. Um, I do all my prep work. I use mailing labels as my notes for kind of my broadcast board where. I'll have the formation of the team in front of me. I set that up when the lineup comes out. Um, but the day of, after I've done all that prep work, I'll drink my coffee after getting up early. And I mean like 5 a.m. And I, you can see, you can go back, you'll see like social media posts I've made at like 5.30. And it's like just me, like up drinking coffee, like, oh, quakes. Um, and I do that. I'll usually work out um, and I'll kind of get out some flashcards and bust over some data and some numbers to kind of go over things again. Um, you know, nothing too, nothing too crazy, you know, just kind of hanging out. And if I have time, I'll watch some of the other games that are going on. Like the best for me is um, when the EPL is on early. Cause then I can drink coffee watch mm-hmm. some of the EPL games and get ready. Um, and then I'll, I will i am usually like right now, I don't get to the stadium super early just because there's no fans there. There's no slowdown getting in but when it's a normal game i'm there about 4 hours before kickoff right now i'm there about 2 hours before kickoff but i get there 4 hours before and i set up and test anything because my opinion is that if i find if i set up everything and i have an opportunity to fix it i should try like if that means i have to go to Fry's or some other electronic store something cuz a you know wire cable piece whatever i give myself the opportunity to fix it cuz i engineer my own broadcast So that's one of the reasons I get there so early is to make sure everything works. Um, And then sometimes I do some stuff with season ticket holders before the games. We've done some speaking engagements with um, Chris Leach, uh, with Jesse Fiorenelli, with some of the kids in the Academy system. And those are for, uh, like I said, season ticket holders and people that are um, involved with the earthquakes, things of that nature. Sometimes they have me kind of give people a little walk around the press box and the TV booth and the radio booth and, Uh, show them what goes on during the broadcasts and things of that nature. But there's no like hardcore ritual. Um, I warm up my voice. I do little like vocal exercises. Um, You don't want to hear me do them, but I do like little, little (laughs) things of trying to get the voice warmed up. Um, But yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy. Like I prepare myself pretty well during the week. Um, And the thing about that is that you do all this prep, you have all these notes and you have all these cool facts and rarely does it ever work out to where the dynamic of the game actually leads you into that discussion. So like if you have hundred percent of your information, you'll be lucky if you're able to work in 15% mm-hmm. of it. And it's an incredible day. If you can work in 20% of it, mostly it's between five and 10% of mm-hmm. the notes and facts and little random stuff that you have that you're able to work in. Cause so much of it in radio is identifying who has the ball, what they're doing, what time of the game it is and what the score is. Like you just, you know, it's like TV, you can sit back. And if they're just kind of, you know, moving it around in the middle third, you can tell a story about a player a little bit more. (laughs) If I do that while somebody's listening on the radio, they're going to be like screaming in their car, like Ted, what's happening? What's the score? (laughs) So like, I, you know, I try to do that and not rely as much on the the stories and the other thing. But um, yeah, I mean, like I, my game days are pretty, pretty chill, you know, just kind of, do, do everything it takes to make sure the broad, broadcast goes off without a hitch. Um, it's like I said, coffee, watch some EPL, go over some flashcards, work out, you know, get ready and go to the game and just kind of get ready, get ready. I'm, I, I, I don't like the look of people in a hurry. Like when I'm at the airport, <sighs> I'm one of those people who was like, get to the airport super early. Um, just because I see people in a hurry at the airport and I'm like,
0: I don't want to look like that. It you raises your blood like, pressure.
1: Yeah. Like like they just look, they look bad. Like they're just like people like sprinting for planes and like carrying their luggage and like spilling coffee and dropping stuff. Like even if it's an airport or like anything else, I'm like, I don't want to look like that. I just want to show up early, take care of my things and just chill, just chill until the game gets ready uh, to go because it's just, again, it's everything's so much more chill that way. Like just get there, set it up, make sure we're all good. Once we're all good, I can just do my thing and get ready for the start of the game.
0: All right. So, and you covered a lot of uh, how you prepare yourself for the game. So uh, I'll now ask you how you practice saying new names on the broadcast. Because especially in MLS, which features players from all over the world, it can be pretty tricky sometimes. And you're thinking, oh, no, this isn't uh, some Scrabble yeah. board. This is a name. So, <laughs> like, how do I say it?
1: <laughs> um the the thing that you want to do is go listen to a broadcast. The problem is right. <laughs> you don't get to pick the broadcast that you listen to because sometimes it'll be a visiting or the the other team's broadcast. And if they're not talking there about their own players, they'll get a pronunciation wrong. Or you hear something and you're like, I don't know that that's how that's pronounced. So usually you can find a home broadcast and figure it out that way. Other times um, I have called other broadcasters on other teams and um, we'll have talked about it. Some of the broadcasters in the league I know now pretty decently, like Richard Fleming with Colorado. I consider him a friend now. Brian Mm -hmm. Dunsith with RSL. I consider him a friend. So like, if there's anything going on or a question I have, I can text them or ask them, call them real quick and have those natures. Uh, But also um, we're lucky here in the Bay area because we are so used to names of so many different backgrounds, particularly uh, Spanish speaking backgrounds. So like when you see some of these names and you see some of the, things that might throw off somebody who's not from a Spanish speaking community. I think we have a little bit of a leg up here. Um, so that's nice that like, you don't get thrown off by anyas or double L's and you have yeah. met friends from Brazil and things of that nature. So you have a decent understanding of how it's supposed to be said. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways you can do it. And then, you know, you can say it once or twice. And like, the thing is, is like, sometimes your brain just <laughs> screws up and you like have figured out how to say it. Cause there are some tricky names you figure out how to say it, you go to say it in the game. And like one time out of like the 30 times you say it in the game, it just comes out completely wrong. And you're like, what the hell, man? Like, where, mm-hmm. where did that, where did that come from? Uh, but you know, just fi- find out a way to get the pronunciation and get and assume you do it right. Um, and even if you're doing it wrong, just say it confidently because it's better to say it wrong <laughs> confidently. than to say it. it's like, if I was uh, Abba Mathami Martins, if I said it confidently, it would be like, Ab- <laughs> Um, uh, you know, it's Obafemi Martins, yeah. obviously, but yeah, say it confidently wrong. It sounds better. Take than it till you tentative. make it. Yeah, exactly. Like do it, like make it sound like you know what you're doing. Um, cause I've heard in broadcast, not in soccer, but just any sports, you'll hear a guy kind of stumble over a name and I've having been there before, just cause sometimes your brain just farts or whatever, you, you would be like, ah, oh, okay. Just say it with confidence. It'll sound better that way. And even if you get it wrong, somebody might tell you, but you know, like you. You, you just deal with it. But yeah, I try to uh, make sure that we know. And then also usually 2020 is totally different, but usually it, it, the visiting broadcasters there as well before the game. So if you're still not clear on something, you can ask them and try and get it cleared up. So there's a number of ways to do so. Uh, but still, it clearly if you listen to some broadcasts, and I'm sure, like I said, I've screwed up. Um, and then other uh, broadcasters around league, you hear them say something, you're like, that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> so you know it's it happens to uh it happens to the best of them and uh and to me as well so I try not to crush guys when they do it
0: yeah I think uh, that's the advice I give to my students I you've taught communication studies classes at San Francisco State University and I'm doing so now at community college in San Diego and Everyone gets nervous when they have to do public speaking sometimes. So I just tell them, fake it till you make it. Like, obviously, do your best to prepare beforehand your information. You don't want to give people wrong information. But when it comes to like names and words, pronunciations, sometimes that's the best you can do. But uh, also, I know that my answer for learning how to say names of certain players that would be otherwise difficult. Playing FIFA, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> my way out of jam sometimes. <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Will.
2: Sorry, no, I know I didn't know if we're still going to be on the FIFA, but yeah, no, I mean, I definitely <laughs> would use FIFA as a great resource as well. Um, but yeah. we're talking about, you know, having mistakes or possible mistakes with names. We're kind of curious if you ever had like a, a mistake on the air that you really kind of caught yourself that you're like, wow, that was not a – Oh, oh when,
1: when I was doing updates for Damon Bruce, I, th- I somehow said my name wrong. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Like, like no. and even like Damon, like came in like on air was like, did you use Brit sprouts? I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. And like, there's like things like that. Like you just went like uh, Joe Hughes, who worked with uh, me at KMBR as well. And now he's at KCBS, uh, same as me. Uh, we like joke about the, like the, the mistakes. It's like, you're br- like, it's just weird. Like your brain just screws up sometimes. And you're like, how many times in my life have I said, Hi, I'm Ted Ramey. I'm Ted Ramey. I and I don't even know what I said uh how I pronounced my name in that instance. Uh but I just screwed it up and like that's the one that's like dude, you got your name wrong? Like what the hell, man? <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably the one that I would look at the most. Um otherwise no glaring mistakes. Well, there was the one time that um I did drop uh an S bomb on air but we had the dump button. It was mm-hmm. when uh Adrian Peterson had been uh i think they that was in the story broke that he had uh, abused one of his children and i just said like that's some messed up like that just because like that was like my natural reaction to it and then i yeah. saw the guys at the booth like looking at me like i was like oh <laughs> hit the dump button which yeah. was a seven second delay but, like that was just my natural reaction and like that's what they wanted radio they're like we want to make it feel like there's a uh, just a microphone that's dropped into the room to get your candid thoughts, and like you got my candid thought. Like, I thought that was some messed up S. I straight up said that on the air, so that wasn't necessarily a mistake, other than the fact that I could have gotten the station fined. Uh, but uh, you know, that's just more of a humorous tale as opposed to me literally not being able to pronounce my own name. So that probably takes the cake,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think anyone that would mess up their name on the air would be uh, pretty, pretty up there on any kind of time messing up on broadcasting.
0: Oh yeah. So now that we went from one end of the spectrum, we'll go
2: to the other. What was your
0: favorite call for the sounds earthquakes? Um, like the favorite one that I did.
2: Yeah. That you've done. Oh, it's a good question. Uh, that's be 2017, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would assume
1: yeah, I mean, I would immediately go to that call of Shea Salinas's goal in the Classico, but also being able to call Wando's all-time goal-scoring oh. record, that was pretty dope, too. Um, you know, that, that was pretty awesome. Um, you know, because that one got played on, uh, you know, some radio stations, and they played it with the highlight on, I think, on, like, sports center and then like fox sports 1. Oh, nice. Um so that was cool and then also my my call for Shay this year um for scoring the game winner against Vancouver in the MLS is Back tournament they used that on fox sports 1 broadcast the next week um to kind of come into the intro of the game. So that was I was pretty proud of that one. Um I yeah, ooh, this is I, this is I didn't see this one in the notes. This is a tough question. Um yeah, I gotta go with the Wando, just because like that's history. And you know it's coming. You don't want to screw that one up, but I felt like I got it right. So <laughs> there you go. That's probably that's probably my favorite call for the Quakes. That was that was cool. Um and just Wando's a badass, you know. So it's uh, it was fun to be a part of that. Have a minuscule part of uh, of his history and major league soccer history.
2: Right. No, I mean, definitely. And I kind of wanted to, I mean, this question was on notes, but since you, you know, you're talking about this and you're talking about hearing yourself, you know, these calls, does it kind of like, you know, when you kind of hear a broadcast call and it's something great and something crazy, you kind of get the chills, you know, you kind of get that that feeling. You're like, oh, it just happened. You know, does that kind Do you kind of get that feeling, you know, when you hear yourself after making a great call like that or something?
1: Yeah. I mean, I always... For like 99% of what I do, and I was relieved to hear that Kevin Harlan, you you know know him from TNT and Westwood One, like he has the same reaction as me, and that we hate 99.999% of everything we do, mm-hmm. um, and that like that's just always how it is. Like i never I always like even when I think I have a good call in the moment, I'll go and listen to it. And I'm like, oh, that's crap, and I know I'm way <laughs> too harsh on myself because I've had people who I don't just think were BSing me I've come and be like, hey, dude, I thought that was a really good call like I because I know I'm way too harsh on myself Um, but like there have been times like when you remove yourself like uh when they went back and played my goal call for Chase Salinas's goal in the Classico and I was like okay that's pretty cool like I didn't like it at first but then later I saw it again I was like you know what that's good that's good I like it that that works overall like I was I was pleased with that same thing for Wando same thing for um, you know there's been some other goals and some other moments and some other plays that have come in there but like usually in the immediate aftermath i listen to my broadcasts sometimes on the way home and i'll just be like god how like what are you doing ted you should just quit now and I know it's crazy and like my dad laughs at me because he's you know a sports broadcaster as well so he gets it um you know and he's always like ted i would i would tell you i'm like yeah i know but i just you know like there's just that yeah. thing where you're just i don't know like you you never get used to hearing yourself as much as you listen to yourself like it just always you have a biased take on yourself. And like, I, I also don't want to lose that. I don't want to be like, Oh, that was good. Like, I love, like I never want to be like in love with my call in the immediacy. I always want to strive to be better. Like I take it very seriously to make it good and entertaining and fun. Cause I like, and I alluded to this earlier, like I'm performing, but like there's an aspect of it because it's broadcasting it's performance arts and I'm not trying to like self-aggrandize myself or make it sound like bigger than what it is. Cause like I'm screaming at players on a field passing and shooting and doing the normal things. But it's like, you want it to like, you arm yourself with these tools of knowing their names and knowing their numbers and describing what they do. And like, I've heard so many guys in broadcasting and it's very subjective, obviously where I hear them and I'm like, eh, you know what, regardless of history, I'm just like, I'm not in love with what they're doing. And so like when I'm, making a call. I want to make sure that people listen to it or enthralled and they have a visceral emotional reaction. Cause in the moment, I'm always having that reaction. I'm trying like, I like other than my dad, who's obviously the biggest influence you could ever possibly have. Like, I my favorite broadcaster is the dude who just retired from the NHL in doc Emmerich. Like I, he's a very polarizing broadcaster. Some people don't like him, but I, I think he's great because he's so emotionally involved and you're excited with the ups and the downs and the ebbs and the flows and I get that with Kevin Harlan as well. Um, I'm a big fan of both Randy Hahn and Dan Rusanowski. Obviously, you know, in the Bay Area, we're spoiled. There's so many good broadcasters everywhere. um, And they're just, you know, and like a lot of them are friends with my dad. So I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, But, you know, like we have great broadcasters here and all of them are amazing. That's what happens in a major market uh, like this. You get good broadcasters. But like I've heard broadcasters in other big markets where I've been like, this isn't doing anything for me. Like the guy sounds bored while he's doing the broadcast. Mm -hmm. I never want to sound like somebody who's like not emotionally involved. I want people to listen to it and be like, yeah, Ted's emotionally involved. Even if I hate the call myself, I always know that in the moment I was emotionally involved. My critique of it is different than what the actual projection of the moment is. Cause I always know that even if I hate what I said or how I called it, I can at least feel confident that the people listening knew that I was emotionally involved in the game and not just some dude who was there for a
2: paycheck. Right. No, definitely. I mean, I think uh, I will go on to the next question, but I just wanted to follow up real quick. I mean, it's just amazing how, you know, you, you critique yourself. You're not satisfied. you know with usually your end result most of the time. I mean, it doesn't really sound like you ever are. I mean, which is just, you know, it's just great to know that, you know, you, you definitely keep yourself humble and you know, you're not like, Oh yeah, that was easy. You know, no big deal. I'm
1: sure you guys are like this though. Like, I like, don't you listen back and you're kind of like, eh, you know, like I could have said that better. I could have made that better. Like that's kind of like what, what, what happens. Right. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. like we're having a good conversation and I'm enjoying this, but I guarantee both of you guys will go back and be way harsher on yourselves than I could ever be. I mean like that, or anybody listening (laughs) would ever be.
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will probably, yeah. So it makes sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, the next question we have is uh, how do you like doing the play-by-play calls for the Cali Classicals on Univision? Is it a bit of a different experience or a challenge on a Spanish uh, language network? So
1: what they did for that was they did it just uh, a couple of times where they would take our radio feed, for the 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 international broadcast which i think was going to like a hundred and some odd countries but it was wow. weird because i was like they didn't like it wasn't like synced up with the TV. i mean it was in real time obviously but like i didn't know what camera angles they were going to i didn't know what they were doing they're like we're just going to take your call and i was like should i change it from a radio call to more like tv i was like because it might seem kind of nonstop for tv because you kind of lay back a bit in tv as opposed to being on top of radio, and they're like, No, you know, don't don't just do what you normally do. But it was a little bit nerve-wracking to be like, This, they're gonna use this English broadcast for a hundred and some odd countries around the world. Like it was, it was very much like, okay, there's a lot of people that could potentially hear this. Like it was it was a little bit intimidating, but it was cool. Um, and later on I was able to get the the feed of it and watch how it sounded and like it didn't always sync up with what, like, sometimes I'd be talking about the game and they would be showing a replay. So it would be a little bit off in regards like that, but it was just cool because it was like, there's people who are watching this game in, you know, Ireland or whatever, wherever, and they're going to hear me doing the broadcast. Like the idea of being able to reach people in different communities and be associated with it. That's super cool. Even though if it was like a little, at times I'm sure it seemed a little clunky, but you know, when you get the opportunity to do something like that, you're just like, awesome. This is cool. But again, it was like, "Ooh, a lot of people are going to be listening to this. Don't screw up, Teddy. Just do it. do it well.
0: Right. So, yeah, that's incredible that it was broadcast to so many different countries and so many emotions flood through when that happens. Yeah. Pride, excitement, <laughs> nervousness. So props to doing that.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, the next question is since, you know, we're all loving about the San Jose, uh, which team are you more of a fan of? I mean, I, I mean, I have this kind of same issue as well, since I'm a big sharks fan. Uh so mm-hmm. who, who you guys sharks over earthquakes or earthquakes over sharks.
1: I, I will just put it right down the middle just because uh, I don't want to, I don't want to anger either fan base. Um, <laughs> Fair but I, I, I will say that, uh, it is the San Jose teams and then everybody else in the, in the Bay area. Um, Uh, whereas growing up my probably my favorite team was the the 49ers like that was like Mm -hmm. my biggest one like you know because I had like a couple heroes in sports like I I ran track like I wanted to be Michael Johnson like he was like my guy Mm -hmm. and then like Steve Young and Jerry Rice were my two other guys who I like worshipped on the earth so like the 49ers were that team and then but then like I said when my dad started doing the clash again in 1996 it was like Oh, like, like suddenly it was like, you're associating. And my dad worked for the 49ers too, as the in-stadium announcer. Um, But like, that was different. Like it was him. Like when you watched a clash game on TV, it was my dad on TV. It was like, it changed my perspective on the team. And then he stopped working for them in 1999 when he went to those cyber rays. Um, But I still had that affiliation and that, that, that genuine love. Um, And then I always, because the sharks came in when I was nine, nine years old, um, and like, there was like, it was the buzz about them. It was like, a, uh, right from the start, it was like, there was a new team. And I'm going to like be on the, from the ground level up with them. So like, it was, you have all these different competing teams, but now it's, it is the San Jose teams and, and everybody else, but just to not anger either, either <laughs> fan base, just not that I think anybody would pick a bone per se, uh, yeah. but I don't want it to somebody like, Hey, you, why are you like this one more than the other? So <laughs> yes, they, the, yeah. they, they are equal at the top.
0: <laughs> yeah that makes sense much like how the sharks twitter account that they show love to both 49ers and raiders when the raiders were in the bay area and a's and the giants yeah even though people who see happen to see the tweet of not their team but don't check the timeline are like hey why are you being nicer to them than my team i was like dude they tweeted for your team too don't worry <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me personally uh so be, I view hockey in a similar way as like a lot of the USA feels about soccer or like during the regular season or, you know, club competitions and they maybe hear a thing here or there and then maybe they check in the SPN notification or something. But, like, when the playoffs, the NHL playoffs for me are, like, the World Cup for general public U.S. (laughs) soccer. Like, I'm all into it. Like, I'm enjoying the fights, all the different, like, overtimes and all that. it's like, oh, man, this is so intense. Like, it could be Like that one game this year between, I think it was the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning, with that went to four overtimes, I think. That was nuts. Yeah, I think that,
1: yeah, I mean, they played two and a third games. Like it was insane. (laughs) Like you get stuff like that. Yeah, it's like Stanley Cup playoffs are amazing. It sucked that the sharks weren't a part of it. Um, uh, no. let's, not get, let's
2: not get started that. I think we could. Have, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a big, I'm a big sharks fan, and like I said, I could uh, get, have my own podcast and start talking about the sharks all by myself in a rant. But well, let's not get started. But uh, I do have to say that like being at a sharks playoff games, you know, I've been uh, like a like a somewhat the ten pack season holder, you know, for a while nice. with me and my dad, and we've been you know fans since I've you know grown up. Uh, so hockey's been there. Forever. But yeah, Ivan, if you have a chance to go, I don't know if you have to a Sharks playoff game the atmosphere is it's, it's electric. It's one of its own. I I can't explain it.
0: (laughs) To tie it back to soccer. uh, One of my favorite (laughs) Sharks game was when it was the playoffs and the iconic Brandy Chastain opened the bench doors for the Sharks to come on out. That was so much fun.
1: And I want to say, w- Wando's done it too. I, I don't yeah, know if yes. he did it last year or the year before, but I know he's oh, opened yeah. it up. Um, yeah, it, dude, it's so cool. Like, it's just fun. Like, that's the thing is like, and part of that's all the the fans being in the building. Like, that's what sucks. Like, right now, like going to Earthquake Stadium for games with the fans and being a part of everything. It's that's it's the coolest thing in the world. And same thing for the Sharks. Like, it's the coolest thing in the world. And right now like last night i broadcast that game against rsl there's nobody there like it's not yeah. normal like it's just like it's it's still awesome because you're you, have the, you know the guys out there and they're playing their hearts out and they're working hard and the game is in front of you but like when you don't have all the fans there you don't have that buzz like there are moments when you walk in and it's like electric you can feel everybody brimming with excitement whether it's opening day whether it's decisioning day whether it's a playoff game whether it's what a rivalry game like oh yeah (laughs) you don't have that now like it's just it's it's it sucks you know it's like it's like my grand you know my all my brain could eke out about the situation with colorado like it sucks and i play it the same way here
0: all right guys thanks for listening i'm your usual co-host favi i wasn't able to make this interview but that's it for part one of the ted ramey interview part two will be coming soon so stay tuned real quick (laughs) the bed under the bed, 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 the bed under the bed.